You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We're going to look at, uh, we're going to actually read the same passage we read a couple of weeks ago, but we'll be looking at a different portion of it. So we'll begin in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. But before we read the Word of God, let's look to the God of the Word. Let's pray once again. Father, we've heard people say you can make Scripture say anything you wanted to say. And it's true if we take things out of context and twist it, uh, it can be made to say what it's not intended to say. But Lord, there's also the truth that we can't truly understand the Scriptures without the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray today that the Spirit would come and open our minds and our understanding and also soften our wills, open our hearts so that we will receive and respond to the Word. We pray for the one who preaches as he needs this probably more than the ones who hear. But uh, we ask that your Spirit would, would take your Word and apply it to our lives so that you meet each one of us at the point of our individual need. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 1 verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. As COVID cases once again spike, hopelessness is on the rise. People are wondering, are things ever going to get back to normal? I'm told that suicide rates in the U.S. military have increased by 30% during this, this pandemic. And oh, how we need a message of hope. God has given us just such a hopeful message in the text we just read. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as we examine this central thrust of Paul's message and his ministry uh, in the passage before us, my purpose is to help you more fully embrace your gospel hope so that you may overflow with hope, even 
in a hopeless environment. Gospel hope. Gospel hope is such a great thing. Uh, for, for one thing, gospel hope helps you make sense of God's plan. At some time, you may have had someone come up to you and say, Hey, have you ever heard of the four spiritual laws? The first one is this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And if you're a Christian, God does have a wonderful plan for your life. But if you're like me, there are plenty of times in your life where you're wondering, mm, exactly how does this fit into that wonderful plan? Is, is, this, is, this, really, is this really what, what God, God has for me? I have, I have students who have their favorite verse is the verse in, in Jeremiah uh, that, that says that, that God is promising to give them a hope and a future, you know? I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, um, plans to give you hope and a future. And we, we, we love that verse. We don't particularly love the one that comes before it that says before you get that hope in the future, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. But, um, but this is, this is there, there is hope in, in the gospel. And the gospel message helps us make sense uh, out of out of God's plan, you could think of your life as a beautiful tapestry that God is weaving, and you're just looking at the bottom side of the back side of that tapestry, and you see threads going everywhere randomly. You see knots here, and, and it just looks like chaos. It looks like disorder. <laughs> That's what life looks like from our perspective. But if you could see it from God's perspective, you would see that He's doing something beautiful. He's making a beautiful tapestry out of all of these circumstances that don't make sense to you. Until you see the outcome, you won't really understand it. But it does help to see how God has unraveled some of the mysteries in the past. The gospel message that Paul preached is called a mystery. Now, have you ever struggled with a puzzle? Uh, I know there are some people, there's some personality types that they'll work on a puzzle in a little while and then they say, ah, forget it. But, but I'm one of those people that, that will be struggling and working on it uh, until, I, until I finally get it. And then sometimes when you finally work the puzzle, you wonder, what was so hard about that? You know, it's, it's obvious now. I, I, I see it now. That's a little bit what the gospel was like in the, when it was uh, coming from the Old Testament. Back in the Old Testament, even from the time of the book of Genesis, there are little hints of the gospel. The first giving of the gospel, there's a fancy theological Latin word for it, but I won't bore you with that. But Genesis 3.15 is the first giving of the gospel where, where, it, where it says, as God speaks in judgment after the fall, and he says to the serpent that I'm going to put enmity, hatred, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. 
and he's going to crush your head even though you bruise his heel. Eve didn't really understand that. All she knew that was that from her, salvation was coming. So when her firstborn Cain came into the world, she said, all right, here he is. Thought he was the Messiah. Didn't quite work out that way. Right? And throughout the Old Testament, you have all these hints. All these hints. Okay, Messiah is going to be a son of Abraham. Uh, later, uh, oh, Messiah is going to be a son of David. And these different things kind of go together. And then you say, wait a minute. Messiah is going to be a priest, but he's also going to be a king. Uh, some, of the, some Jews even thought there were going to be two messiahs because kings and priests come from different tribes. And they couldn't figure it out. But when Christ finally came, when the gospel is preached, then the mystery is revealed. And that indeed is what mystery means in the Bible. A mystery in the Bible is a truth that was formerly concealed, but is now revealed. Okay? A truth formerly concealed, but now revealed. That's what Paul says, this mystery it has been hidden from the ages, it's been hidden from the generations, but now it's revealed to the saints. St. Augustine, back in the 4th century, or if you're from Florida, you can say St. Augustine. But uh, St. Augustine said, when, when he was explaining how the Bible, how the two testaments of the Bible relate to each other, he said, the old, I said it wrong, no. The new is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. Okay. Let me unpack it a little bit. Uh, all of the truth of the gospel, all of the mysteries of the, of the New Testament about Christ, His coming, and everything He did, it's all there in the Old Testament, but it's concealed. And now, as you come to the New Testament, it's all revealed. It's like when you're working on, if you ever worked on those little programmed texts, you know, where you kind of work out, out a problem, and then you can look back at, at the answer. The New Testament's kind of like the, the right side of the column, right? And the, the Old Testament's all the, all the problems that, that, are, that, are being, that are being worked out. I take great comfort, and so can you, in that God took all of these things that, that seem to contradict each other or not make sense, and He brought them all together in in the gospel. Think of these poor disciples uh, right after Jesus was crucified. There's a story in Luke 24, and I tell my students that, that if, I could, if I could be there for any Bible story, if I could actually go back and live it, this would be the one I'd want to live. And, and you'll see why in a moment. These two disciples are just crushed. They're broken. Their whole world has fallen apart. They've put, in all, they've put all their hope in Jesus and now He's dead. And they don't know what to do. So they're just going to go home. They're heading back. It happens to be on what we call Resurrection Day. The first Easter Sunday. 
And that Sunday evening, they're heading back. And they're walking these several miles to the village known as Emmaus. And as they're walking, a third person joins them. They didn't know that it was Jesus. But uh, the resurrected Christ is with them. And he starts asking them questions. What are you talking about? I like to imagine these guys just probably being a little bit annoyed, you know. Here, you know, we want to grieve in peace. We kind of want to talk, uh, talk, talk this out. And here's this stranger coming and inserting himself into our private, in, into our private conversation. And, uh, and so maybe they answer a little bit harshly when they say, hey, are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been happening in these past few days? And not to be put off, he says, what, what things? They said, about Jesus of Nazareth, a man mighty in word and deed. He went around doing miracles and healing people, doing good and preaching. Never did anyone teach like, like this man. And we thought, surely he's the Messiah. But a few days ago, our rulers turned him over to the Romans. And they crucified him. They put him to death on the cross. And what's more, it's been three days since this has happened. And, and today, some women came and said that, that, that he was risen. We went out to check it out, but we didn't see him. But he was our hope. We thought he was the hope of Israel. And as they walk along, the stranger starts talking to them. He says, you, you guys are so foolish. You're slow to believe everything that the prophets have written. And he talked to them from Moses, the law, the Torah, from the prophets, and from the Psalms. Those, incidentally, are the three sections of the Hebrew Scriptures the law, the prophets, and the writings. He told them in all the scriptures the things relating to him. That's why I would have wanted to be there. I would have loved Jesus to explain all the things in the scriptures about him. When they get to the place where, where they're staying, their attitude towards this guy has changed. As they've been listening to him, and they said, uh, uh, Come on in and join us. He acted like he was going to go further, but no, come on in, stay the night with us. And as they come, the first thing they do is they sit down to a table. And this visitor does what, what a guest never should do. He took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. <laughs> he was acting like the host. And in the very moment of the breaking of the bread, their eyes were open. And then he disappeared. And they're saying, it is Jesus. It was Jesus. That's why our hearts were burning inside of us as he opened the Scriptures to us on the road. They were so excited, they turned right around and went back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. What, it, what, what had happened. And walk, took those miles, 
seven or eight miles, I forget how long it was, that, that, that hike back to Jerusalem, having the mystery unraveled for you just makes such a difference in, in your life. Think of what the, the effect that it had on the disciples who glorified God and marveled at His wisdom. For Paul and the other apostles who, who gave their very lives to proclaim God's mystery even though they were opposed to the Christian message before. And we can take comfort in the knowledge that God knows what He's doing even when we don't understand His ways. Those circumstances in your life that you would really love to change are actually one day going to showcase God's wisdom. So gospel hope helps you make sense of God's plan. But gospel hope also gives you a certain and glorious future. And we saw in a previous study here in Colossians uh, that hope in the Bible is different than the way most people usually think of the word hope. Uh, hope is not mere optimism. It's not simply a positive outlook. It's not wishful thinking. Hope is an objective certainty. Okay? It's a sure and certain hope. And specifically, it's the hope of glory. The absolute certainty that we will spend eternity in the blessed presence of Christ. That's why the most pastoral of all the ancient confessions, the Heidelberg Catechism, opens this way. The question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And listen to this wonderful answer. That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood. And He has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to Him, Christ by His Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. This comfort, this comfort is the gospel hope described here in our passage as Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're going to spend eternity in heaven or on the new earth if you're a Christian. Now, this indwelling Christ is what makes this hope such a certainty. This was, was part of the mystery. You know, in the Old Testament, people knew some things like... Uh, well, the Gentile, there is going to be some kind of turning to, the, uh, to God from the Gentiles, but it wasn't really clear how it worked out. But now in the New Testament, it, it's revealed that 
the Jew and the Gentile are now going to be united in, in one body. This blows away all racism and sexism and every other kind of, of, of prejudice that you can imagine. Did you realize that Jewish boys were taught to pray? Oh God, thank you that you did not make me a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. In fact, in some traditions, the Jewish men still pray that prayer every day. I think that's the very prayer Paul must have prayed several times when he was a Jew. But look, look at what the God did. Look at what God did in his heart. This is what he wrote in Galatians uh, 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. We are all brought together. That's the mystery. Jews aren't better than Gentiles. Whites aren't better than blacks. Uh, Asians, Latinos, we're all one. We're all one. We're all one in Christ. This is, is the mystery. And not only are we brought together in this one body with Christ as the head, but Christ Himself actually indwells us. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is a privilege that, that people didn't know in Old Testament times. The indwelling Christ. What a, what a wonderful thing uh, that, that it is. Our future glory then is so certain that Paul speaks of it as if it were actually past tense in Romans 8 chapter 30. There's this, uh, this wonderful golden chain of salvation. Or if you like the Latin, it's called the Ordo Salutis. It speaks of it this way, as it's the unfolding of God's purpose or plan for you. And that is for those whom God foreknew. That means those from eternity past that He set His, His love upon. These He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn of many brothers. So God in eternity past not only set His love on His people, but He also determined their eternal destiny. And then it goes on to say, And those He predestined, these He also called. That's the call that you responded to when you heard the gospel, right? That's the call also that worked internally as the Spirit was drawing you to accept Christ. All of those who were foreknown were, were predestined. All those who were predestined were called. Those who were called, those whom he called, these he also justified. Justified is what happens when you respond by faith to this call, call of God. You put your faith in Jesus Christ and your sins are washed away and you're given the righteousness of Christ. But listen to this last one. And those he justified these he also glorified. Wait a minute, that hasn't happened yet. 
You may think you're glorified, but you ain't seen nothing yet. And most of us know we're not anywhere close to being glorified, right? But Paul speaks of it. The Bible speaks of it as such a certainty, this glory that we're going to have, that it speaks of it as if it were already a past tense because in God's mind, it is settled, right? It's already there. That's why hope is a certainty in the Bible. You may ask, so what, what's this future glory going to be like? When I was a kid, I thought heaven sounded kind of boring. You know, it's like, so what are we going to do? Float around on clouds and strum harps all day? Uh, that doesn't, doesn't sound that great to me. But of course, my childish image uh, of, of heaven isn't even close to the reality. You say, could you get me closer? Well, maybe a little. But, uh, but I can't really tell you exactly what it's going to be like because it says in the Bible it has not yet been revealed what we will be. That's part of the history that still has to be unfolded. But I can tell you this much. If you could just try to imagine uh, or isolate a moment in, in your life when you were supremely happy, you know? Could have been on your wedding day. It could have been, it could have been any, any number of occasions. But if you could just think of that and, and try to recall the emotion that you felt at the time. I can tell you that heaven is going to be better than that. And it lasts forever. Beyond that, I can't really tell you because I can't imagine it myself. Neither can you. The Bible says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it even entered into the mind of man the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Oh, friends, don't lose sight of the glory uh, that's, that's awaiting you. I heard an old preacher one time, Pam and I, before we were married, uh, he was actually a well-known Baptist preacher. His name was Vance Havner, and we got to hear him. Well, he was an old man even then. But uh, as he spoke, he said, uh, obviously he was at that age where he had more people to say hello to in heaven than he had people to say goodbye to on earth. right? And he said, I'm homesick for heaven. He said, it's, the only, it's only the hope of dying that's kept me alive this long. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the, but there is this great and glorious future that, that, that God has for us. So this gospel, this gospel hope is going to energize you to live confidently now in the present age. Think of it this way. All of your problems are temporary. Right? All of your problems. 
there's a stress management technique that goes something like this. This thing you're feeling stressed about, is it going to matter five years from now or ten years from now? Almost always the answer is no, right? So stop worrying about it, right? But if we could see that on a more cosmic scale, Look at your problem this way. Is this going to matter in eternity? Is this going to matter once Jesus comes back and makes everything right? What I'm trying to get at here is the importance of perspective. I lived a lot of my life in Florida, the Sunshine State. But uh, the sunshine in Florida is nothing like the Arizona sun. <laughs> but even this Arizona sun as big and bright and hot and powerful as it is you could take an object as small as a penny and if you draw it close enough to your eye you could block out all the light of the Arizona sun and that's what we sometimes do with our problems and our trials we're so focused on stuff we're so myopic we're so nearsighted that that we lose sight of the glory of God and what Paul is trying to tell us to do here is live your life from an eternal perspective it's not that these trials don't matter but you have to consider them in the light of eternity this is how he managed to endure so much as he did. That's why he wrote, for example, in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. The glory that's going to be revealed make, makes all of your present sufferings seem like nothing, really. That, that's why Paul even called them light and momentary. Listen to some of the things that he called light and momentary afflictions. This is from 2 Corinthians 11. He said, I, I have been in prison. I've been flogged. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers and in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? I don't know about you, but I've never been through anything quite that severe. Some of you may have been. But what Paul is telling us, in effect, is that no matter how frequent and how severe 
your troubles may be, they are insignificant when you see them from the perspective of eternity. That's why he speaks in, in 2 Corinthians of the eternal weight of glory. All of these things, if you put them on a scale, imagine putting all your trials on a scale, and then you put the eternal weight of glory on the other side. That, that glory just so outweighs all of these afflictions that they do seem light. And they do seem momentary. It's just a matter, again, of, of getting the proper perspective. When you view your life from an eternal perspective, you'll be able to endure any hardship to reach spiritual maturity and to help lead others to spiritual maturity. That was what Paul was saying toward the end of the text. But he does point out that this endurance is not self-generated. It instead is evidence of God's working powerfully in you. Farmers in southern Alabama used to plant cotton. Year after year, it was their cash crop. It was their livelihood. They would plow as much ground as they possibly could and plant all the cotton that they could put in the ground. And year after year, they lived on that cotton. But then one year, the dreaded boll weevil devastated the whole area. So the next year, the farmers mortgaged all their property and bought seed and planted cotton again, hoping for a good harvest this time. But as the cotton started to grow, the boll weevil came back. And it ruined many of them. But the ones that, that were left the third year, they decided to try something different. They thought uh, they'd plant something that had never been planted in their area before. Peanuts. And the peanuts proved so hardy. The, um, the market proved so ravenous for the product that, that the farmers who had survived those first two years and then planted peanuts found out that they were able to wipe out all their debts after the first year's crop. And then after that, they really uh, prospered greatly as they planted peanuts year by year. And you know what those farmers did? This is in Enterprise, Alabama. They went to their town square and they took some of their hard-earned profits from peanuts and they built a monument to the boll weevil. <laughs> and if you visit that little town, uh, you, could, you could see that monument even, even today. If it hadn't been for the boll weevil, they never would have discovered peanuts and the prosperity that came from the peanuts. They learned that, that even out of disaster, there can be great delight. I doubt we'll ever see anyone build a monument to COVID-19. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you, 
it will be worth all of the suffering and all of the hardship that it's put all of us through if as a result we could rest in the hope of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory.